You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. This edition of It's My Money is brought to you by Brenthurst Wealth, your partner for global wealth creation. It's Tuesday, so it's time for It's My Money with Brenthurst Wealth. And uh, Brenthurst Wealth is SA's top boutique wealth manager in 2020. And with me is the founder and managing director of Brenthurst Wealth, and that's Brian Butchart. And you, you're focusing in your article that you kindly sent me earlier on today, Brian, about FOMO, the fear of missing out. And it seems to me that sometimes markets go just a, a few percent higher than they should do because of people saying, I've got to be in this market because my neighbor's in this market or because the bloke I just met in the lift is in, in this market. I mean, it is a psychological factor, but an important factor as well. And you say FOMO could lead to bad investment decisions. Yes, good afternoon, Lindsay. Um, yeah, look, let me start by providing some context in terms of the topic of FOMO and behavioral finance. And, you know, we know one of the best performing sectors in 2020 was the technology sector, as an example, and, and driven to a large extent by global lockdowns, catapulting the demand for home office and online e-commerce solutions. But, you know, one of the funds um, that we've been using, the Signia Fourth Industrial Revolution Global Equity Fund, did very well as a result of that. And as a low-cost passive fund, which offers investors international exposure to companies positioned to benefit from new technologies and innovations, this fund includes tech like artificial intelligence and robotics and renewable energy and cybersecurity and cloud computing, just to name a few. But the fund delivered an astounding return in excess of 80% over the last 12 months. And investors are ecstatic with these returns, as they should be. Um, But the concern, of course, is when investors question why they shouldn't have more in that fund, sacrificing other funds which have delivered lower returns without understanding their purpose and the overall construction of their portfolios. And although we think technology still is a long runway, we caution chasing historical returns in the best uh, performing sectors without understanding the risks, market cycles, valuations, investment styles, and the benefit of a well-diversified portfolio. So what you're saying is, that even though this fund, which has gained incredible traction since its inception, which I think was uh, maybe even three, four years ago now, I can't remember, but that's not the point. The point is that it has a, a, an enormous amount of publicity because of its performance. But what you're saying is that perhaps it shouldn't be taken in isolation. It should be used as a part of a diversified portfolio. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely, Lindsay. I mean, you know, I think and this, this fund in particular has got a very specific um, sector that it invests into. The, the mandate is technology 100%. And, and of course, when you assess sector returns over several years, I mean, uh, there's very rarely one sector that remains at the top consecutively. And and I use the example, you know, if, if, if you have a look at 2014 and 2015, the health healthcare sector plays second and first best performing sectors, respectively, in those two, two years. You know, it would have been very difficult not to feel FOMO at the beginning of 2016, having missed out on the two previous years' performance from that particular sector. But, of course, switching into that portfolio or, or, or in that sector, in, in, in the healthcare sector the following year in 2016, would have yielded the worst performance in that particular year as healthcare stocks slid to the bottom, delivering the worst return in that particular year. So, you know, a specific fund that has uh, is mandated into specific sectors may do well in, in, in certain years and certain periods, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to stay at the top. 
And it doesn't. You say diversification reduces risk of picking the worst performing uh, sector. So you may have the best performing sector, the fund or the sector that you've just described, but you might be in beaten up small caps before the just before the pandemic hit. And now they've now we're going out of the pandemic and economic growth is going. Maybe the small and mid caps are, are doing well. So again, diversification. But when it comes to diversification, what is your policy towards that? I mean, do you say I want 10% here, 10% there? 10% and all the others and have an equal rating or ranking, if you like? Or do you uh, actually say to yourself, well, asset allocation is key here and I have to apply that asset allocation to different sectors. So you obviously have to do some work here. Yeah, no, Lindsay, I mean, you know, 100%. So, so we would look at asset allocation as a starting point. Obviously, the, the individual client's um, risk profile comes into play in terms of trying to understand what the objective is with the capital. Is this a savings towards retirement? Is it for a specific objective that is going to expire in a couple of years? And then we can understand what that capital that's been invested is uh, being invested for and the time horizon that they're investing that for. And as a result of that, asset allocation becomes very important. And within that asset allocation, uh, certain sectors, certain themes uh, which we identify uh, within those asset classes would be sort of where we would place those investments. So it's a combination of both looking at the asset allocation as well as uh, various sectors and themes that may be um, sort of trending at that point in time to include in the portfolio. It's a great graph you sent me. Uh, the title of the graph is a value revival. I mean, this thing has been on a slide since so the value uh, stocks um chart by the way down from the end of 2016 i mean it's fallen precipitously and then suddenly it's spiking again it looks a little bit spiky to me it might come back but on the other hand is there a fundamental reason why value stocks might be reviving and will continue to revive yeah look i mean i think you know Lindsay, just to sort of for for, for the benefits of of the listeners i mean i think it's also important just to differentiate between a growth and a value stock um, and I think growth stocks, you know, they've done exceptionally well over the last couple of years. And a growth stock is basically sharing a business that's, own, uh, that's shown above average earnings and has the potential to grow faster than the overall economy. So growth stocks tend to react faster to market swings. Perhaps what we can do is just uh, for, the, for, for the benefit of the listeners is just to differentiate between a growth and a value stock. Um, and of course, last year, growth stocks were in favor. And at the beginning of this year, we've seen value stocks in favor. And a growth stock is basically a share in a business that's shown above average earnings and has the potential to grow faster than the overall economy. So growth stocks tend to react faster to market swings. So you need to examine the risk of every investment you make, and they usually don't pay dividends. A value stock is a security trading at a lower price than what the company's performance may otherwise indicate. So common characteristics of value stocks include high dividend yields and a low price to earnings ratio. So the growth sector's delivered exceptional returns over the last few years with cheap money, massive stimulus, and the impact of lockdown supporting growth stocks in particular. However, the economy's reopening um, and normal economic activity resuming the potential for rising inflation and rising interest rates is usually good for value stocks and cyclical shares. So more recently, the three top performing growth sectors, sectors in 2020 all find themselves in the bottom performers in the first quarter of 2021 while active fund managers with a value bias from this, uh, with the sector rotation from growth to value moving exceptionally fast and value stocks recovering sharply. So value stocks have definitely done a lot better in the first quarter of this year as a result of the fact that they have um, 
been underperforming for some time. And of course, with the potential with interest rates increasing, inflation increasing, those are generally sort of environments that benefit value stocks versus your growth type of stock. Do you think there's any chance that some of the growth stocks that we've become familiar with, I mean, let's say, for example, Facebook, a growth stock, a massive growth stock. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg's personal wealth has risen by, I think, 40 billion just this year because of the performance of the Facebook share price one of the FANG stocks. Do you think there's any chance that they could meld together and it could be a growth and a value stock because it pays dividends and, um, and, and starts to develop the characteristics of a value stock as well as its growth potential? Absolutely, Lindsay. So there is, there is that. And, and, and in fact, I've, I've seen some recent um, sort of comparison where, where, where some of the other uh, gurus in, in, in uh, some of the asset managers are actually making a statement to say that you know, potentially uh, we're moving into an environment now where there is going to be a lot of that type of um, scenario happening where uh, stocks are, you know, they're going to offer both growth and value mm. at the same time, depending on, on where you are in, 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 the, in the market cycle. Your last paragraph, before you get the, to the checklist for the smart investor, which we'll come to in a moment, you say, beware of concentration risk, and you go on to say the following, the value style and multi-asset funds were never intended to necessarily beat growth-orientated funds. Instead, they offer diversification and serve a purpose in the construction of the overall portfolio. Just explain concentration risk for me, please. Yeah, Lindsay, I mean, diversification between investment styles and multi-asset classes is intended to offer risk mitigation and capital preservation when market cycles shift. So as financial advisors, our focus is on the importance of generating consistent and reliable returns under different market scenarios while protecting our clients' investments from the downside. So, you know, you you want the portfolios to be aligned to their respective risk profiles. And right now, rising inflation poses a risk to central banks, which may prompt interest rate hikes, as I said earlier. And should this risk materialize, equity valuations could pull back as rates go higher. And that's when a flexible fund or equity with a value biased uh, provides protection to investors. So just concentr- you know, concentration risk instead of being in one particular sector, one particular asset class, and that would apply to equities versus bonds, property, cash. You know, if you're only in equities, one has to understand that that concentration risk comes with um, various um, sort of risks associated to that. Your 2021 checklist for the smart investor. There's quite a few points here, which we can't we can't go through all of them. And I'll just read a couple. There are going to be headwinds, new COVID-19 waves. We don't know what the economy is going to do when when we come out fully from COVID. Countries like India, uh, for example, and Brazil. We don't know what's going to happen after that. These are all ingredients for a potential bumpy ride in the markets. We know that volatility is the price you pay for participating in the returns. So don't exit the market after a large correction. Well, we haven't seen one uh, for. 14 months now and hopefully there won't be one this year understand you say what risk tolerance is and how this applies to you everyone wants a 30 percent or higher return few can stomach a 30 percent decline in portfolio values maybe you can go on from there and pick uh, pick a couple uh, from the last six i think it is or five uh, that really you you really want to get across because there's some good points there well, first of all, I think, you know, the main sort of um, objective of, of, of this particular piece is really to say don't only chase last year's winners. I mean, diversification mm-hmm. is an integral factor in the construction of your investment portfolio. So chasing last year's winners and only focusing on that is only going to result in, um, you know, disappointment potentially because they, it cannot continue inevitably upwards. And, and sectors do move and rotate. And there is rotation from 
sectors and asset classes. Um, so, so, so that's an important factor. Then, of course, you have to also be very clear on your investments objectives. So is it for retirement? Is it leaving a legacy? Is it protecting the future financial security and money requirements of children or a spouse, partner, or perhaps for an entrepreneurial venture um, in the years ahead? And then lastly, investing is one component of an overall financial plan. You know, a, compre- a comprehensive financial plan also covers estate planning, always have a will that is up to date with current personal circumstances. And then, of course, uh, it also includes risk planning and tax efficiency. So what you have to do is not just diversify your portfolio when it comes to an equity portfolio, whether it be an equity portfolio versus bonds or, or cash. You also have to diversify your whole financial plan. It's all got to be in place. And then you can sleep well at night, I think, Brian. Absolutely, uh, Lindsay, and, and it's an ongoing process. I mean, the markets, uh, as you very well know, I mean, they, they're moving all the time. There's these different cycles, there's different interest rate cycles that are coming into play. Um, different sectors and investment styles do differently, uh, do uh, perform differently at different times. And of course, you know, holistically, you've got to look at your entire plan in totality and understand what the objectives of that are. Brian Butchart is the MD and founder of Brenthurst Wealth, and Brenthurst Wealth is South Africa's top boutique wealth manager 2020. It's My Money was brought to you by Brenthurst Wealth, an award-winning boutique wealth management company. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.